0: Roll tight everybody and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample and you picked a good day to push that play button because we've been thinking maybe it's time to forego just talking about big games and famous names and focus on far more serious subjects since previously on Bama Talk. The primary purpose of the show has been to talk about Alabama athletics with of course a heavy emphasis on football. We've talked to former players, coaches, managers, members of the media, the mayor of Tuscaloosa, the man that started Tide for Troops, the first female band director in the SEC, and a referee that's officiated over 50 years of football practices at Alabama. We've talked about the great teams, the great players, and the great people that deserve a shout out because they're what Built by Bama is all about. But while all that's a lot of fun for folks like us, you know, folks that like to focus on football and all the other sports we like to follow, the fact is that we're living in a country with an economy that's in critical condition. We don't have time to mention all the things that cry out for our attention, but we realize it might be a good idea to occasionally recognize that for instance, deficit reductions more important than touchdown production. That national defense is more important than goal line defense. That really good kickoff coverage isn't quite as crucial as reasonably priced health coverage. Then there's famine, disease, and pestilence, not to mention the heartbreak of psoriasis. And who isn't suffering from 21st century situations like bad cell service and battery life? And what about all those precious young people torn apart by the prospect of showing up at the prom with pimples because we haven't made a cure for acne the priority we all know we should? We're right on the brink of beach season, and there are scores of seniors that are afraid to hit the shore because we as a modern-day democracy haven't developed a dependable adult diaper that'll fit under a Speedo. I know, I know, this is really deep and complicated, but if the conversation's going to ascend to a higher plane, rather than staying stranded in the merely mundane, we have to ask ourselves if we're ready to set aside just talking about the tide and tackle the urgent issues that test us as individuals and as a nation. Mm, Hey gang, ESPN just came out with their post-spring practice SEC power rankings, so I thought we'd share it along with a comment or two. They've got Bama at number one, Natch. They put Texas A&M at number two, but they must be counting on number two to get them through a tough schedule because they lost their offensive coordinator, their left tackle was taken in the first round of the NFL draft, and five starters graduated off their defensive front seven. So if Johnny Manziel has any kind of sophomore slump, they could be looking at a postseason trip to Shreveport. George is at number three because they see lots of offense, but replacing 12 overall starters might mean they're overrated. South Carolina sits at number four followed by Florida at number five. LSU's their pick, uh, no pun intended, for number six. And get this, Vandy's at seven. Uh, This is fun. I think you know what I mean. And old hit and miss manages to make it number eight. They put Auburn at number nine, so we guess they think Gus can get it done, at least on offense, and avoid another 0-7 in the SEC. Mississippi State is at number 10, just ahead of Missouri, who they put in 11th place. The list calls the Hogs number 12. ESPN volunteers Tennessee for 13th place, and it looks like the worldwide leader sees everybody smearing KY with the Cats coming last at number 14. So it remains to be seen what happens when the action goes live, but we think the title will be inspired by the chance to make it four out of five. We're less than 115 days till kickoff, and as we approach our next assault on Atlanta, which is where we open the season getting it on with the Gobblers, one of the things that'll be talked about and written about all summer will be the chance to 3 As we all know, Bama's won the last two BCS National Championships, and winning three in a row is a tough row to hoe. But what we do know is that Bama may do it, and Bama may not but the Tide's the only team that even has a shot. And let's not overlook the fact that there are several fifth-year seniors on the team, and A.J.'s one of them. Alabama has had a lot of good quarterbacks over the years, and you can rest assured there'll be more in the future. And, by the way, Mr. McCarron has already matriculated, having earned his degree this past December. So, like Greg McElroy before him he'll lead his team as an alumnus this fall but with aj going into his final season of athletic eligibility as a redshirt senior he's been part of teams that have already won 3 national championships if the process that's produced so much success puts us back in pasadena there's the very real possibility of his leaving with rings on four fingers how awesome is that and how many years would it take anybody at any school to break that record i know if i was a highly rated high school pro Are you listening kids? Winning a ring would be a big thing and make no mistake, nobody visits the jewelry store more than Bama does. And speaking of highly rated recruits, our guest today was one of them and three of his brothers and a cousin followed him to Alabama. His ride with the Tide took place from 1983 through 1987, and the powers that be in the NFL thought enough of him that he spent two years playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. So we are talking live with number 35, Kerry Good. It's good to talk to you, man. Where you? Where are you these days and what you got going on? Well,
1: living in Atlanta. Um, got young ones. I'm trying to raise three boys and a girl. Got my just headed to Tuscaloosa in the fall. Um... It's trying to
0: live life. There you go, man. You know, speaking of headed to Tuscaloosa, uh, you were the first of four brothers to play at Alabama, although Chris is, uh, I think, a year older. Uh, So the recruiting campaign kind of started with you, or at least uh, uh, finished with you first. And Coach Bryant was still the head coach at Alabama when you were a senior in high school. So what was that whole recruiting process like for you, especially living in a small town like Town Creek?
1: Well, you know, once you start getting recruits coming in uh, that small town, everybody knows when somebody new comes to town, and <laughs> you know your phone rings off the hook when that happens. Uh, Chris got in there. Well, he started, and Auburn actually started recruiting all. He and myself, um, I guess, my sophomore year, and they were recruiting him as well. And we had gone to so many Auburn games at that time, and. Uh, they'd offer him a scholarship, and then they get to the end there, the same year with Bo Jackson, Allen Evans, College Cameron, and all those guys, and they get to the end there at signing day and call and ask if he'd walk on, and they put him on scholarship in the spring. Of course, my dad wasn't having that, and he's like, we're not going to turn down scholarships to walk on somewhere. Uh, so, you know, it's like from that point, it, it was, uh, well, you know, <laughs> if this is the way you operate and do business, don't worry about coming back here next year.
0: Oh goodness gracious! Well, so, and, and that's the thing, because and your dad, who I got to meet a uh, number of years ago, great guy. Uh, he probably figured by then that he had three or four more behind him that were be going gonna be going through that process too and paying for college for for one's bad enough, but three or four, that's not gonna happen. Yeah,
1: you know that's old football coach. So you know he'd been around the game a while, and uh, so and at that point we had other schools recruiting and. For me, it was a lot of fun um, having, you know, different coaches come in and sure. talk to you and talk about how you fit into their program and then got an opportunity to go up and sit down with Coach Brian and be, you know, where I fit in with him. And then and, and at that time, he announced he had uh, gone to retire and Coach Perkins was coming in. So, but you know, I, I still was committed to Alabama at that point. So it was didn't change that he they were switching out.
0: Coaching staff. Yeah, and of course, they were running the wishbone under Coach Bryant, and then Coach Perkins came in and brought more of a pro style offense. So, did that have any real effect on you one way or the other? I mean, because you. It
1: did, because I ran, I ran the pro style offense in high school, and, you know, I was a single tailback, and we didn't run. We ran a little bit of the deer and wishbone, but the majority of it was the pro set, what I was accustomed to running already. So, that wasn't going to change a lot for me. Uh, and then I could go in and pick up right where I left off from high school where, you know, I think some of the guys that were already there had to switch over uh, from the wishbone to the yeah. eye. And, and, and uh, you know, if you're not used to just standing a little deeper and, and taking the toss, it can, can be kind of uh, way on your mind of what you're doing, if you're doing the right thing or not. So, And I think that gave me a little bit of an advantage going in.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I know you guys are a close family from talking to Chris several times. Well, uh, and I know, obviously, like you said, your dad played a part in this, but what kind of influence did your parents and your brothers have on your decision to go to
1: Alabama? You know, probably with the situation with Chris, that that's probably was a major influence. Uh, you know, at that time, you'd be recruited by Alabama and Auburn, you know, two of the state's premier programs, and it's at an early age, you try to figure out which side you want to be on Alabama or Auburn, but when they start coming recruiting, it kind of muddies the water a little bit. But once that happened to Chris, it was, we already everybody knew which side we had to choose from that point on.
0: Well, it's a lot easier to get to Tuscaloosa from Town Creek than it is to Auburn, too. It's, it's about- it is
1: that. It is definitely that. At that time, uh, the speed limit was 55, and it always seemed (laughs) like it took us a whole day to get down to Auburn when we'd go to the games.
0: And it's it's dark when you get there. Hey, you know, I remember seeing a picture of you as a freshman before the season wearing number 44, but you wound up obviously wearing number 35 in your career. What was the story behind that?
1: My high school number was 44. Um, And, you know, come in, and Craig Turner had the number, and and he wasn't going to switch, but... You know, they try when, when you're being recruited to give you your number in that jersey and let you see what it looks like on you and all of that. But now I see it where Coach Saban doesn't mind having two guys with the same number on. I was like, well, I could have gotten my numbers by playing with Coach Saban
0: <laughs> or or played on defense. Yeah, now if you if as long as they're not on the field at the same time, uh, most of the time, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and by the way, speaking of Craig Turner from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. few people we've had from Maryland, he scored co- the last touchdown uh, an Alabama player ever scored under Coach Bryant in the Liberty Bowl uh, in 1982. Uh-huh. Right before you got there, so uh, I remember uh, when I'd gone back to school, was talking to Craig about that, and and he he really, quite honestly, had not thought of it. And when I told him, his face just lit up. It was it was great. You know, 1983 <laughs> was a really big year in Alabama football history, like we're talking about, Coach Bryant had stepped down after being there 25 years and becoming a national figure. Then he passes Mm -hmm. away in January, Ray Perkins takes over. So you were part of the biggest changes in the program that had taken place in 25 years. What stands out to you about all that, that, that period between, uh, when, of course you came in probably in May or June, uh, Mm -hmm. but, but that, that whole first year was, was the most unusual year most of us had ever been through.
1: Well, you know, one of the main things, I remember sitting in a in science class, and my principal, a uh, big Alabama fan in high school at that time, came in and he, he called me out out of the uh, class, and I'm like, man, what did I do? I get in trouble? I do something <laughs> wrong. again. And uh, he just told me, he said, uh, your coach just passed away. I was like, my coach? I was like, you know, thinking my high school head coach, I just saw him about five minutes ago. And uh, he's like, no, Coach, coach Brian had passed. And, and I think that we had the moment silence there at the school and, and teachers and everything. We stopped doing work there for a while, and, and everybody just sat there in disbelief at that point.
0: Right, was That's Jane. one
1: of the big things that stand out to me. And then, of course, going down early and in and, and that summer, and a couple of guys, a couple of freshmen that came with, with Cornelius, Kurt jobbers and uh, I think Mike Shula was there as well, Greg Richardson. Yep. We all went in early trying to get a jump start. And, and uh, we get down there, of course, at the NCAA rules, very limited in what you could, the team could do for you. So we're all trying to get together and, and band our money together, make sure we had enough food to eat because they were only given, could only give us a certain amount. But, you know, we worked through that and had a lot of fun, and I think that's one of the best things that happened that, for the guys that, that can to go in early and, and kind of get that camaraderie.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty good freshman class, too. Uh, you know, and, I, and one thing I remember about uh, 83 – uh, and you're a freshman that game against penn state up there was one for the ages they came out all fired up and we got way behind but you guys played your guts out in that game we get down there at the end and Walt, walter lewis played an, an incredible game uh com- mm-hmm. completes that pass to preston gothard in the back of the end zone and the official ruled that he landed out of bounds well it was a horrible call because they replayed it 10 times on tv and everybody could see it was a touchdown but we fell short by one score, 34-28. Uh-huh. But it was an amazing game. And here you are, freshman, primetime, national TV. What was it like being a part of a game like that?
1: <laughs> I'm sitting there, and, and they were up, I guess, 21, 24, yeah. nothing or something like that. And I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, you know, I hadn't lost a game in two years. And and not only am, are we losing, we're getting our eyes beat out of our head. <laughs> Uh, as a freshman, that's what I was thinking, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I hear my name being called, and I'm oblivious. I'm like, who's calling me? And look, it's Coach Perkins calling me to get in the game. <laughs> and at that point, I couldn't find my helmet, so I, <laughs> I, I, I snatched somebody else's helmet, I ran out in the field, and I'm out there with someone else's helmet mm-hmm. on we get one play and they it, and I get run back off and grab my helmet. And I, I was like, "He's going to kill me for not being ready." Because he's it, always preaching, "When your name's called, you need to be ready to go."
0: Oh, that! And was... I'm
1: sitting there in a daze in another world.
0: Oh, uh, you know, he... so I didn't
1: really have time to think about you know the magnitude. We're we starting to come back. Joe Carter ran the touchdown all the way back, and we had the momentum going and. I was more concerned of, man, is he going to kill me when I come off this field?
0: Uh, You know, and Walter Lewis had spent three years as a wishbone quarterback, but, but people forget Walter could throw the ball. Walter was a mm-hmm. was, an, was an extremely talented football player, and just did an incredible job of leading that comeback that day. You know, ESPN broadcast that game, and they they were kind of still a new thing since they'd only gone in the air on the air for the first time, I think, in 1979. But I know they got a lot of phone calls about that game, and I was one of them because uh, I think the whole country had a fit about that game. It for three or four days, it's all anybody talked about. You know, we, we played a game against LSU and Baton Rouge that year and beat them wearing all white. I remember thinking I liked the way Ray Perkins made them wear purple jerseys at home, which they don't like to do, and, uh-huh. won, and and we won the game on top of it. What was it like walking into Tiger Stadium as a true freshman and walking out with a 32-26 win?
1: Well, you know, as a freshman, you start going to these different stadiums and you've heard and you know about the reputations of the fans and all of that. And you walk out of there, and they've got that tiger sitting right by your entrance. And just so happened, we're standing there, and somebody, I guess somebody must have prodded him or something, man. <laughs> Poked that him with left a stick. Of, yeah, he let out a roar and about scared me half to death. <laughs> 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 I wasn't expecting it. And then, then when he did that, I'm like, whoa, I wonder if this thing ever got loose out of here, man. He caused destruction.
0: Oh, man. Uh, but
1: the game itself, uh, when we played other running backs that were, you know, considered top running backs in the conference or in the nation. I always set a goal of mine in that game. If I can just outperform, outrush their rusher, we'll be okay. Somehow we've got to come out on that end, and, and that was always my motivation when I went into a game to, you know, do your best and if given the opportunity, and you get enough touches, you've got to make sure your numbers are better than that guy over there.
0: Yep. Hey, you know, you guys went to Sun, the Sun Bowl in El Paso at the end of that year, and you played SMU, who was still kind of in their heyday before the NCAA chopped their legs off. And everybody thought they'd just stomp us because the Mustangs wound up, uh, they had Michael Carter at nose guard, and they were supposed to be all that. But West neighbors uh, beat him all day. Uh, we won the game 28-7 uh, as an underdog. What was what's the best part about winning a bowl game your first year on the team?
1: They didn't want to play us at first of all because they thought they were you know bringing us in there and they had had a great season and we weren't supposed to be in the bowl with them because you know what did we lose three four games that year
0: and they made a lot um, more money than you guys
1: yeah most definitely a whole lot more money <laughs> <laughs> and you know they had the the, the what do they call it, the Pony Express? You know, and uh, leading up to the game and all the week of the festivities and stuff, and then they kind of act like that, too. So uh, we got together and said, hey, man, we're still Alabama. We will not be disrespected. <laughs> that game for me as a freshman, I saw a lot of the senior guys, you know, you learn things. As a freshman, you really don't know the magnitude until uh, until you go through a complete season of, of what it really means to play football in Alabama. And by the end of the year, I, I had put on about – Twenty pounds, because I went there. I I think 176 soaking wet with bricks in my pocket, mm-hmm. and I was about 194 by the time the bowl game got there. Didn't didn't carry a lot. That's I called it the Ricky Moore show that day, because he ran a lot of, and ended up running over their big All American safety uh, Carter, I believe. You know, I was more of a pass route decoy that game. I, I think coaches saw a little more of the inside opportunities than they did. Putting it on the
0: corners. You know, it's funny so, because because I do recall that uh, their defensive front, their interior defensive front, was supposed to be a strength of that team. But we whipped yeah. them. We whipped them we up and down, down the field up. all day. And like I say, some yeah. people, some people have, especially kids that age, have a very narrow uh, view of history. Uh, and I know those kids at SMU were uh, they had a lot of good football players uh, uh, because they, uh, you know, we won't go into the story about how why SMU had so many good football players but yeah. but but uh you're exactly right it was still Alabama and it was the same thing mm-hmm. David Palmer said right before we went to play Miami in 92 and 90 and Miami was making the same mistake uh yeah. you, you know these pe- these people need to you know they need to take a look at the bigger picture sometime and they'll come out on a, on the better end of the stick you know of course We all know about what went down in 84 because that knee injury you suffered uh, against Boston College, uh, it cost you the rest of the season, and I really think it cost us at least a couple of wins because we just didn't have anybody else on the team like you. Uh, But that game against Boston College was a classic. Uh, you, You had almost 300 total yards just... Uh, including that 99-yard kickoff return for a touchdown with Keith Jackson calling it on national mm-hmm. TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you had as good a 30 minutes of the first half and then that well, 30 probably 32 minutes, 31 minutes, as anybody's ever had at Alabama that night. Yeah. It was amazing. I was there. You
1: know, growing up, you always envision Keith had called so many games. And when you do it in the back backyard or – playing through your head of how you want it to sound. You always want to be playing with Keith Jackson calling the game. Me, I had someone ask me the other day, how how did it feel playing in that game and rushing for that many yards and doing it as well as I was doing? My answer to that was, you know, I had done it in high school, and that's the way I was looking at it. It was nothing for a 300-yard game in high school. Uh, So, you know, I just figured, hey, let's take it to the next level and do the same thing. It was pretty easy that night, you know. The guys were blocking and uh, had one straight up the middle uh, on a, a counter and only one guy touched me and he only grabbed my sleeve and that's when I spun and backed into the end zone. It, it was just one of those dream games that you have and, and now I look back on it and over the career it's like, wow, man, that was a good night, you know. Um, Unfortunately, your dream, my dream turned into a nightmare not long after that.
0: Well, it, it, you know, I watched the YouTube video of it. And by the way, folks, the YouTube video of Care, the, the play we're talking about, Kerry's 99-yard nine nine yard kickoff return for a touchdown against Boston College in 1984, is a absolute thing of beauty. You get to listen to Keith Jackson call it. Next time you get a minute, go to YouTube and check that out. Cause, and I'm going to tell you what, and I don't think anybody touched you on that kickoff return.
1: They did. not The kickoff before that, uh, well, it should have been two. The one before that, I brought it out to the other 40, I believe. Instead of cutting left, I cut right and ran right into somebody else, and I'm like looking at the film the next day, and I'm thinking, man, you could have had two touchdowns on kickoff returns if you'd just gone the other way. On the first
0: one. As far as the the rosters, we had those people out, man. But they had Doug Flutie that year. It's the year he won the Heisman. You go down. We we spent the whole second half trying to fight him off, but they came back. But I can't help but think, if you'd have stayed healthy, we'd have won that game. Was the injury itself physically painful?
1: It was. To me, it felt like and sounded like somebody just snapped my leg. It, I mean, it. I heard it, and I'm like, what was that? Pow! It just snapped. Ugh. And immediately, I my thought was get off, get get off of it, you know. Just and I just dove into the pile, uh, to get off, and then the pain was excruciating, man. It went down, it went down my leg and up all the way up my. It it was something else, you know. After a while, I sitting there on the field. It, it went away, and I'm thinking, okay, it's all right. So I get up and I jog off the field. By the time I get to the sideline and and standing there, it just collapses. No. Oh. Uh, you know, the adrenaline was still flowing, and uh, at that point in time, I looked at the doctor, and he, he, he shook his head and, well, intent tense purposes, said, Well, you, you're done. You're done for the year. For me, that was probably the hardest thing to hear that. You worked all, all season over the summer, and you spent, you know, a lot of hours to only play one half of football. That was,
0: that was pretty tough. Yeah, I know it had to be. And I tell you what, and I don't say this to diminish the contributions of all those other guys on that team because they played hard and I know they were they were giving it everything they got. Uh, we wound up with a 5-6 and six record that year. And, and I really think uh, that your injury – Played a part in, uh, in in that record. We were we were good for at least two or three more wins that year if you'd have stayed healthy. And, and speaking of that year, we got to talk about the Iron Bowl, the kick Van Tiffin that year because we went into it with a four and five record, big underdogs. They had Bo Jackson, Brent Fullwood. Um, they were uh, you know they were about as good as they've ever been. But Bo uh-huh. went the wrong way. Roy Turner waxed full wood on fourth and one at the goal line, and we won seventeen to fifteen, and one of the uh-huh. biggest upsets in the history of that series. Uh, tell us what went down that week. And I know you're injured, and probably maybe you're just watching and looking. But what was it like that week going into that game, and and, and and what all happened? What what put us in a position where we could win that game under those circumstances?
1: Basically, pride all that week coaches were talking about we haven't had the season we wanted and things hadn't gone the way we wanted and all of that could be erased and forgotten in one day and you know once you line up out there at Legion Field and, and take on Auburn who I think they were in contention for a national title or something like that I can't remember exactly but what better way to wipe them out and race the bitter season that we've had just go in there and put it on them.
0: Well I I was there, it was a beautiful day. It was cold but it was clear as a bell. And uh I was down down on the on the track by the fence uh there at the end of the game and uh Legion Field held held seventy two thousand at the time and of course it was split right down the middle uh, mm-hmm. but, but, but the half of it that was wearing crimson and white was about as loud as that many people could ever be. And I misspoke a moment ago when we was talking about Van Tiffen, that we're talking, Van Tiffin was part of the 85 game. This was the 84 yeah. game, but 85 was really a fabulous year with some great games, starting with that last minute comeback win Mike Shula led, uh, in Athens against Georgia, where I he found Al Bell wide open over the middle. Uh, you played a key role that night. What? What I was there, I was at that game too. In fact, I was standing right down on the fence again in the end zone. Al Bell caught that last pass. I actually heard the ball hit his hands. I was uh-huh. so close to him. Uh, what sticks out in your mind about that night, other than the fact that it was about ninety-five degrees with a hundred percent humidity?
1: My first game back, they a little tailback. They had moved me some into the fullback role. For me, that game, I, I re-injured my knee. I tortured some carlots. I did it, and, uh, and I refused to really tell anybody I had done it because I knew they were going to set me down. And I just wanted so bad to, you know, not to have this happen again. So I, I, I played the whole game, you know, with a cartilage all screwed up in there. But
0: we were up and
1: then uh, had to punt, and <laughs> Greg Gibbard and, and, and Willie Shepard were personal protectors, and, and somehow they got mixed up on the call and they come running off the field after Georgia had blocked the punt. looking at each other, no, that wasn't me, that was you. <laughs> I told them, I said, I don't know who it is, but both of you are in trouble. <laughs> so. <laughs> they, oh, and that, and that place just, went
0: nuts when they blocked that oh, punt. Oh, yeah,
1: that place went crazy, and it was loud. And But we got in the huddle, and uh, Mike says, you know, all we got to do is go right down the field.
0: And it did, too.
1: Yeah, we come out and hit the first few plays, and I'm like, oh, this is this is going to this is going to be pretty easy. It's going to go down in the wild in
0: this one. And you almost had the winning score because we ran a, ran a wheel route to you down the left sideline early in that drive that Mike just overthrew you just a few inches.
1: Yeah, he, he did. And, I, I, you know, and that would have, for me, I was like, man, if I could have gotten
0: that one. Oh, that would have been a Daniel Moore painting right there. Now, spe- speaking of crazy things that happened that light, and I wish we had a YouTube video of this, uh, me and the buddies that – Went over to that game where, like I say, we, you know, after we, they blocked that punt and scored and went ahead, we're thinking, and that, and, and I thought the stadium was gonna explode. I mm-hmm. thought, well, thought we're gonna be down here by the fence if we if we if we can pull it out at the end, we'll celebrate, and if we can't, we getting out of here as fast as we can but we did win the game. So we're down there. And of course, Alabama people are jumping up and down and yelling and screaming. And of course, everybody's running down there to tear off a piece of the hedge, you know, take, get a piece of the hedge, take home for a souvenir. And I got this buddy and he knows who he is. We won't name him. Um, but he, I look over and he's down there with his foot up against the fence trying to pull one of those hedges out of the ground by the roots. It was the funniest oh, no, I'm talking about the funniest one of the one funniest things I've ever seen. I mean and he was working too. I mean if if he'd have been any stronger he'd have pulled that whole piece of hedge out of the ground and taken it out of the stadium. Of course they'd probably arrested him but I know he'd have yep. done it and I wish I, I'd give anything if I had about 15 seconds worth of video of that. Anyway uh, you, know, <laughs> you know the 85 Iron Bowl, the the Van Tiffin game might be Mm -hmm. might be the best one in the history of the series, and and it it was of course like a future NFL star game. I mean, the people, the players that played in that game, uh, there must have been a half dozen guys that had great NFL careers. It was back and forth all night. One of the, you know, Keith Jackson, Frank Broyles called it the best fourth quarter of football he'd ever seen. It was, it was an amazing atmosphere. That's as good as college football gets.
1: Yeah. I, I remember standing there on the sideline, and then, you know, Van Tiffin we were always shocked when he missed a field goal. I mean, at that time, he was pretty consistent. Oh, yeah. And I remember one game, I, I want to say Southwest Louisiana or something like that, and he comes out and he missed a field goal, a tee shot, and everybody's like, seriously? He missed it? <laughs> so, but when he lined up to kick that ball – our only thing was, you know, hit it down the middle or we're, we're going to barely miss it because he was pretty accurate. I, I'm sitting there thinking he's going to have enough leg. Man, he had more than enough leg. He could have he backed up another 10 yards and put that thing. Through. It,
0: it, it was a 52-yarder that would have been good from 60 and, yeah. and right down the middle. And we've all seen replays of it a million times. And, oh. you know, and what's amazing is how many things played a part and the way that situation played out. And the main thing was Greg Richardson catching that pass and, and dragging that guy so he could get out of bounds and stop the clock because we didn't have any timeouts. Mm-hmm. And then on I mean, the actual it kick did. itself, Kevin Porter, the guy that was on the right defensive side of Auburn's kick block team, was actually offside and actually got in front of the kick so early that he was by it by the time Van kicked the ball. And, yeah. of, and of course, we declined the offsides penalty.
1: I didn't get an opportunity, well, you know, because I had re-injured my knee, and I didn't get an opportunity to play in that one. And I'm sitting there talking with Bobby and uh, Humphreys and Gene Jefferson. I'm like, well, hey, you know my you know my goal, my plan is always outrush them. You guys, is on you. And I think it, it was Gene, one of those guys, I think Gene had a great game. that Yeah,
0: day. oh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And, you know, it, it was one one of those, I said, whoever it is, hey, when you get an opportunity, you've got to make it count.
0: Hey, I'm telling you, you know, you're looking back, uh, and bless your heart, you had those injuries, so talented. Man, you look good out there, I'm telling you. Nobody ever looked prettier running a kickoff back than you did in, in that YouTube video. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like you look in Webster's Dictionary of running back, running down the field. There ought to be a picture of you carrying the ball telling you. You know, you played with some of the best players in college ball, and, and won, you guys won a lot of big games. You went out to the Aloha Bowl and beat Southern Cal like a drum 24-3, to 3, uh, beat Ohio State in the Meadowlands at the kickoff classic. They had guys like Chris Carter and Chris yeah. Spielman, and we had a, some freshman named Derek Thomas that played a little bit that yeah. night.
1: You know, the only teams we didn't get that we wanted as a, as a group, as a team, we always wanted to play Miami because at that time they were in their little heyday run and Oklahoma. Mm yep because you know for us we we thought hey we can play with anybody in the country given a chance we would love to play them and and i think that's the mentality they have right now like taking on these early kickoff classics and all that hey we don't care who you are if you want to play us we will line it up and we can get it on Let's with go. anybody on in the country
0: see it up hey you know um We're in the two-minute drill now. You were around, played football at Alabama. Actually, spent five years on the team. Spent a couple of years in the NFL as a player. Spent a number of years uh, as a uh, strength and conditioning coach, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So you've been around the game. You know the game. When you watch the team now, especially these last several years under Coach Saban, the program's about as good as it's ever been. What? What as a as a player as somebody that's close to the game. Uh, And somebody that also has an emotional investment in it. What impresses you most about what you see these days?
1: Uh, Talent level, first of all. You know, have the coach said that old you can't make chicken chicken salad out of chicken manure. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that gets that's that's the first thing. And
0: I I appreciate you cleaning that up too.
1: (laughs) uh, But to have all the guys buy into the program. Yeah. When you do, when you can do that and then and, and everybody knows where the buck stops and, and, and the man the, who's going to pull that ax down on you if you don't do it, do the right thing at all times, doing it the right way.
0: It's his way or the that, highway. That's
1: big, yeah, that's a big part of, of winning and losing. You know, if you've got that and, and, and everybody knows who, who where the buck stops, it goes a long way and, and what's demanded of you on a day-to-day basis. And when you're not giving that effort – and you just see it going through the motions, and, and you know that at any point in time, hey, that jersey you got on for that number one team, offensive unit or defensive unit, you can be stripped of that and put back to a third unit. It makes you work a little harder. Then the fact that because you're playing such talented players every day in practice, you have no other choice but to step your game up.
0: Just and That, certain, that yeah. makes
1: you, you know, much better. That's why at this and seeing the guys that go out – and have a record nine guys, I think, get drafted this time around. And a lot of that is based on who you perform against every day in practice, not just the game. You know, if you've got to go against the number one guy, draft pick every day in practice, that can't help but make you much better.
0: Yeah, it's easy to forget. Those guys play football six days a week. Yeah. Hey, you know, speaking and speaking of that jersey, Kerry, uh, I like to ask ex-players this question because I think it reveals the, the human side of what it means to guys that wore that, what I think is an awfully special uniform. What was it like the last time you took off that jersey and handed in that helmet?
1: Well, I didn't want to hand the helmet in at all. First of all, <laughs> it's one of those, you're like, man, this, this, is, this is it for me. Can I keep my helmet? <laughs> well, You know, NCAA frowns on that. But, uh, that jersey, every time you see it or somebody has it on, even in passing, you, you just go, man, that was a great time in life. That's a time that, you know, laid the foundation for me as a man, it, you know, learn how to fight. You you know, you gonna go through tough times. You just got to be able to strap them up and keep pushing. So, as they say, this too will pass, and then you'll be on to the next fight. You got to come come through, so... Playing that Alabama jersey, and I always look out and try to find out who has thirty-five on, because I demand a lot, lot out
0: of you if you got that number on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, hey and, and speaking of other people wearing it, you know, one thing that was really cool, especially about your career, because you were a very, very popular player. I, I, and I'm not. And I don't even know if you realize uh, uh, the the amount of uh, attention and, and and affection the fan base had for you. Uh, I, I you. You were held in very, very high esteem and still are. But, you know, you're one of those guys, that handful of guys every year is that you walking down the street or you walk through the mall in the middle of the week and there's kids walking around with number 35 on. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool thing. But, you know, I think uh,
1: D'Amico Ryan's kind of helped that along with that 35.
0: <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> yeah, but you made it famous for him, D'Amico did. Uh,
1: yeah. Hey listen man, we're uh, just
0: you know, a, we're just about out of time and we got to get out of here but man I sure appreciate you taking time to talk with us. It's a, a lot of fun. I, I was telling Chris what we're going to try to do at some point is get you and uh, you and Chris and Pierre and maybe even Antonio all in here at the same time and just cut up and have some fun.
1: Well, yeah, we can make that happen because we got a lot of stories to tell on
0: each other. Uh, that's, <laughs> uh-huh. We'll just let the tape roll and uh, and let the world hear it all. Hey, listen, if somebody if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that these days?
1: Uh, Kgu35 at BellSouth.net. dot net.
0: Okay, man, that sounds great. Well, listen, you take care. Uh, you can go on uh,
1: Facebook. I'm uh, I'm on Facebook as well, so um, there's two pages. One is for uh, they're both ones Kgu, well Kerry and then the other's Kerry Goo with the KG. So uh, had to put two Facebook pages because one ran out, and then people asked me to join, so I did another one. They're still the same pages though.
0: So. Well, man, it was great talking to you. Again, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us, and uh, we're going to do it again sometime, okay?
1: I appreciate it. Roll Tide, man.
0: Roll Tide. Hey, you know, thanks to the internet, we can carry on about the Crimson Tide on a worldwide basis, and we want to shout out to some homeboys that we've gotten some great feedback from that are big Bama fans living outside the mainland. Tuscaloosa native Bill Good listens to the show from the sunny shores of San Salvador, and Chuck Essery tunes in from the frozen tundra of Palmer, Alaska, which is about as far away from his Fayette, Alabama home as you can get. Now, we also got a like on our Bama Talk Facebook page from the lady that lives in the Netherlands, but I can't pronounce her name, so we'll just say it's really nice to hear from you and tell everybody over there Stephen M. Says Hey. And speaking of our Bama Talk Facebook page, we're pumped up about it reaching over 478,000 people last week. We're having a lot of fun with it, so if you haven't seen it, go on and take a peek. Feel free to share any of the pics and posts you see, and be sure to hit that like button and let us know you're out there. If you have buddies that might like to listen to Bama Talk, let them know they can find the show in the podcast section of iTunes, or on Stitcher or at bigbrainsmedia.com because friends don't let friends miss Bama Talk. Besides, the downloads and the subscriptions are free, and hitting that subscribe button means every episode gets saved and stored automatically so you can listen to any show anytime you like, as much as you like. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or your tablet so you can listen to the show on the go, you know, like while you're watching replays of the last seven Tennessee games, or while you're watching Bama softball, or you could listen while you're being a really good neighbor by helping your friend that's a Tennessee fan by driving driving her to the beauty shop because her hairdo was ruined when she walked under a ceiling fan. And speaking of Tennessee fans, I wonder what they think about Bill Battle now. You know, he was the head coach in Knoxville for seven years in the late 60s and early 70s, but they ran him off because his record was 1-6 and six against Coach Bryant. You know, like anybody else was beating him. Battle went 59-22 and 22 during his tenure at Tennessee. These last seven years, the Volunteers have squeezed just enough juice to go 38-38. and 38. But Bill Battle managed to make ends meet somehow by starting the leading collegiate licensing company in the country and wound up selling it later for a little over $100 million. We're glad to have Coach Battle back at Bama as our new athletic director, and our guess is he'll like it best in late October when the leaves are falling and the Vols come calling. We've won seven out of the last eight, and we can't wait to make it eight out of the last nine. And since we're talking about numbers, we want to brag on Bama's men's basketball team. We all know the program's not what it could be on the court, but they're getting it done in the classroom because 30 39 of the 40 players that have played under Coach Grant have graduated. And this fall, we'll have a number of football players that will be playing as academic alums because they completed their undergraduate curriculum, so they already have their degree. Another tidbit or two, and we're out of here. You know, there's always a lot of talk about strength of various conferences and how they stack up on the field. And bowl games over the last 10 years, for instance, the SEC clears up any doubt about who dominated postseason play among the major conference counting 53 wins versus 30 losses. The Pac-12's number 2 with 32 wins and 27 losses. The Big 12 comes in third with 40 wins against 39 losses. The ACC finds itself in fourth place with a 35 and 40 mark and the Big 10 brings up the rear with nothing near a winning record at 28 and 47. You know when you're talking about losing weight being the biggest losers great, but when you're talking about bowl games, not so much much you know well it's almost time to head for the locker room but before we get out of here we thought the best way to say something about mother's day might be to replay this commercial coach Bryant recorded in the early 1980s that's better than any card I've ever seen he improvised that last line by the way and an awful lot of mothers loved him all the more for it I know mine did let's take a listen
1: one of the first things we tell our players is keep in touch with their families and when our freshmen first arrive, we asked them to write a postcard home right then. You know, we keep them pretty busy, but they always have time to pick up the phone and call. And it's real important to keep in touch. Have you called your mama today? I sure wish
0: I could call mine. Me too, Coach. Me too. Happy Mother's Day. And with that said, it's time to head for the locker room. For Mark Phillips, James Spann, and everybody behind Bama Talk at Big Brains Media, we sure hope you enjoyed it because we had a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.